And I'm Scott. And we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to week nine of the podcast. As is the, always the case in Trump's world, we've got plenty to cover. Not so much, though, that we can't get you started off with a little quiz. So here we go. Question one. The $10 million transferred from FEMA to ICE represents what percentage of total funds diverted from various Homeland Security departments to ICE? 5%, 15%, or 50%? Question two. True or false? The Texas Board of Education votes to remove Hillary Clinton from the mandatory history curriculum and to reinsert biblical figure Moses. Question three, also true or false. The Irish government is devastated to learn that Donald Trump has had to cancel a planned visit to the country this coming November. Question four, true or false. Trump started the day on 9-11 with a tweet expressing sympathy for all the people who lost loved ones and for all the fallen heroes who lost their lives that day. Question five. Paul Manafort pled guilty this past week on two counts in order to avoid being questioned by Robert Mueller in the course of his upcoming trial in Washington, D.C. And question six. True or false? Senator Orrin Hatch seems to be striking a different tone in regards to Brett Kavanaugh's accuser than he did with Anita Hill, saying he understands this is a serious allegation and he looks forward to hearing the testimony and evaluating the evidence. All right, there you go. A little warm up for this week's episode. Let's get started. And now, domestic Trump troubles. Okay, NPR reports on Kavanaugh's accuser. In July, a woman reached out to her congresswoman and senator with her account of an episode of sexual assault she claimed had happened to her at the hands of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. At that time, she had requested confidentiality. Last week, Senator Dianne Feinstein acknowledged her knowledge of the accusation, saying she was protecting the confidentiality, but had passed the account on to the FBI. On Sunday, this brave woman, Christine Blasey Ford, a 51-year-old California professor, revealed her identity, saying she wanted to be sure the truth came out and that she felt her civic duty was stronger than her fear of retaliation. She claimed that Kavanaugh and his friend, when they were in high school, corralled her into a room at a party and locked the door. She said Brett Kavanaugh got on top of her, on the bed, pushed her down, began groping her, trying to take her clothes off. When she tried to scream, he put his hand over her mouth to silence her. Now, there are notes corroborating the details of the story from a couple's therapy session Christine and her husband had in 2012. Though she did not explicitly name Kavanaugh, she had, in fact, said that it was boys from a private school who were now prominent men in D.C., 
The New York Times now reports that a hearing is set for Monday to hear Kavanaugh and his accuser. Brett Kavanaugh denies the allegation, and his supporters say he is looking forward to a hearing when he can clear his name. Orrin Hatch said, well, he knew the judge well, and this woman must be mixed up. Hmm. Mixed up. Mixed up. Well, all, you know, all accused women are mixed up. Right. So we can only imagine the uh, usual shenanigans that will go on if, in fact, any hearing takes place, which I wonder if they are going to be that clueless as to have a Anita Hill, uh, you know, round two right before the midterms, which is just going to make them look like the scumbags that they are. Yeah, it ain't the same circumstances that we had back when Anita Hill was uh, was going up before them because we've got a lot more women, even if it is on the Democratic opposition side, they are there and they cannot be ignored. That is true. Although you can already hear the usual shenanigans taking place about she must be lying. Uh, why is this coming out now? And um, uh, and I have something else to say about that in a little bit about the reaction that's come out so far. But what I also want to add is in the basket of women being slut-shamed, not believed, and minimized this week, CBS reports the Texas Board of Education votes to remove Hillary Clinton and Helen Keller from the mandatory history curriculum in Texas schools. Now, this vote was not final. The final vote is held in November. So I'm hoping that uh, people, people in Texas will uh, speak up about this. Uh, now, you could still teach about Hillary. It just wouldn't be mandatory to do so. But good news. Oh, what? These folks also voted to reinsert the biblical figure Moses. Papa Moses. As an influence on American politics. A conservative Christian advocacy group praised the board's decision, saying, quote, In Texas, you don't mess with the Alamo, and you don't mess with our Christian heritage, unquote. Well, 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 I would like to know how you're going to describe the election in 2016 if you don't mention who the opponent was. Now, what the hell did Helen Keller do? Oh, my God. Give me a break. And now, a bit of moralizing and lecturing. All right, I have something to say here about the way I have already heard this accusation of Brett Kavanaugh being treated. And this is what I have to say. What? A high school prank is putting a whoopee cushion under a teacher's chair. Right. Uh, what is ha- what is being described here is not a teenage prank. It's not something that just happened in high school. What is being described here, what he is being accused of, is extremely serious. It is an attempted rape. And let's just be clear. Uh, if you are and your friend, drunk, not drunk, are taking a young lady into a room, locking the door throwing her on the bed, uh, forcing her down while you get on top of her, 
and you're trying to rip off her bathing suit and uh, grinding against her. And when she goes to scream, you cover her mouth. Uh, That is not a prank. No, it's not a prank. It's not common. It should not be normalized. We should not be making our current youth feel as though that is normal behavior. It is not. It's not acceptable. Well, it's not normal, but uh, but I think we do a tremendous disservice to young men to make it sound like, oh, you know, wh- what what's the big deal here? Because I know young men and I know teenage boys and, and, and this would be appalling to them. And I know that. And they would no more think of doing this as a as a prank than they would doing any of this behavior at 27, 37. They know very well at 17 that this is cruel and this is a, a, a abusive behavior. So, the, but I cannot believe the number of people I'm hearing describe either this incident as a high school something that we shouldn't even be getting into uh, or... You know, what's the relevance of something he did in high school? Well, the good news is in this Me Too uh, time that we're in, these fellas who are saying those things are revealing themselves. Well, I hope so. But I, actually, I've seen it. I saw a woman tweet about it as well. Oh, for God's sake. A woman tweet about it, about why are we talking about what happened in high school? Well, because if you are capable of this kind of behavior at 17, uh, then... I think it has. It's disqualifying. It's for disqualifying. The that is right. Disqualifying. But I, I, I just hope we are not in for another uh, Anita Hill. Uh, you know, blaming the woman. I mean, we are already seeing it. Yeah. I, I don't know why I say that. We're already seeing it. You know, between Orrin Hatch saying she's mixed up, and uh, you know, gee, these women, these other women knew him, and they said he was swell. Clearly, Orrin Hatch is mixed up if he can't just tell the difference between black and white, because that's what this issue really is about. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, it'll be interesting to see if this hearing ever comes to pass. I'd like to say that this is Trump's most despicable story of the week, but frankly, there are really too many of those to say that one is the most despicable. However, this is right up there for me. The Huffington Post reports, Twitter users torch Trump over fist-pumping, thumb-raising at 9-11 commemoration. Trump's commemoration of the September 11th terrorist attacks didn't exactly go smoothly. Early in the day, he was roasted for a strange tweet that just noted the passage of time. His tweet read, 17 years since September 11th. Then, as he arrived at a memorial ceremony in Pennsylvania, he greeted supporters with a double fist pump. And then, as he arrived at the Flight 93 Memorial Visitor Center, he gave a big thumbs up. And in a third image, the president claimed he was um, departing the White House, except the picture is on a sunny day, and it was not sunny in D.C. that day. We hardly remember the sun here anymore. And in the front row of the people flanking Trump are Hope Hicks and Omarosa Manigault Newman. What? 
who's easy to spot because she may be the only non-white person in the picture. Now, first, why is this picture necessary? One would think he wouldn't even want Omarosa in any picture where he is, but there she was. And it is just more deception, more lies, and on top of the other fails of the day, it is just salt on the wound from this compassionless, classless, inappropriate man. It becomes pretty clear in these moments how much I believe we want and need a president who knows how to behave, who can carry himself with the dignity and respect that the office deserves. But a reality TV star who's a buffoon, a clown, a little insecure narcissist is what we are stuck with. Let's hope Americans will remember this and not sink this low ever again. Amen. Bob Woodward's blistering new expose, Fear, Trump in the White House is flying off the shelves. Amazon said it sold out all hard copies on Tuesday, the first day the book was available. The book sold 750,000 copies at the close of the first day. Hmm. Uh, According to the New York Times, the book portrays a White House with relentless infighting and a work culture so toxic and volatile that many of Trump's top advisors and cabinet members became accustomed to working around their boss, whom they described as unstable and uninformed. The book has stories like his lawyer, Mr. Dowd, telling things he should avoid. Telling Trump he should avoid an interview with Mueller, saying it's, quote, either that or an orange jumpsuit. It quotes the defense secretary, Jim Mattis, replying to Trump's question of why the U.S. was spending so much on the Korean Peninsula. Mattis saying it was to prevent World War III and reported his complaining that Trump understood the topic like a fifth or sixth grader. It also reports that Chief of Staff John Kelly called Trump an, quote, idiot, and saying the White House staff was uh, operating in, quote, crazy town, unquote. The book also reports Trump being enraged after he tried to give a speech denouncing racism two days after his despicable remarks about, quote, very fine people on both sides, unquote, after Charlottesville. He said the new speech was, quote, the biggest effing mistake I've made. You never make those concessions. You never apologize. I didn't do anything wrong in the first place. Why look weak, unquote. Well, it sounds like lots of tidbits indeed, Mr. Woodward, and I look forward to hearing more about it. Okay, remember I said that that other story might have been the most despicable story of the week about Trump? Yeah. 
I think this might be the most despicable story about Trump this week. We not only have a quiz, but a competition. It's so hard to say. Well, here we have the Washington Post reports that Trump creates political storm with false claim on Puerto Rico hurricane death toll. Mm. Trump falsely claimed a conspiracy to inflate the death toll in Puerto Rico after learning about a sweeping study, which was accepted by the Puerto Rico authorities, that there were 2,975 excess deaths on the island in the six months after Maria made landfall. Hmm. Providing no evidence... Trump incorrectly alleged that Democrats raised the death toll in order to make me look as bad as possible. The Trump administration came under sharp criticism for its recovery efforts after Maria, despite Trump's insistence this week that his handling of Maria was an incredible unsung success. A plus. That's right, he tweeted, we get A pluses. With his statements, Trump sought to minimize the death of thousands of American citizens while appearing to shirk responsibility for the government's performance. And to quote the Post, who is pulling no punches, quote, Trump sought refuge, as he habitually does, in conspiracy theories, Mm -hmm. unquote. Republican candidates in Florida distanced themselves from his comments, with Governor Rick Scott, who is running for Senate, going so far as to say, quote, I disagree with POTUS. I've been to Puerto Rico seven times and saw devastation firsthand, unquote. Trump went on Twitter to say, quote, When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from 6 to 18 deaths, unquote. Carlos Santos, uh, I'm sorry, Bergua, I'm not sure I'll say that right, forgive me. The principal investigator of the George Washington study said, quote, We stand by the science underlying our study. It's rigorous. It is state-of-the-art. We collected the data from the official sources. Everything can be validated, unquote. Outside of Florida Republicans, um, there were, the Republicans had only scattered criticism, but Democrats were united in decrying Trump's claims. They vowed to use their subpoena power to investigate the response to Maria should they win the House majority. Hint, hint, get out and vote. Vote, vote. 80% of Puerto Ricans said Trump did a fair or poor job. Later in the week, as reported by NBC, the FEMA administrator Brock Long defended Trump on the death toll study, saying... He questioned the relevance of independent studies, arguing that the findings were, quote, all over the place, and he didn't know why the studies were done. Shucks. The mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulin Cruz, responded on Twitter to Trump saying, in all caps, your lack of respect 
is appalling. She went on to call him, quote, delusional, paranoid, and unhinged from any sense of reality, unquote. This is really something special. So I guess the FEMA people want to say, unless a wave hit you or a a house fell on you in the wind, those are the the only things that are relevant. Why study anything else? Well, hello, folks. If the response is poor, more people are going to die than if you have a good response. And guess what, FEMA? Nobody's holding you accountable for deaths uh, as that are the result of somebody being swept away or crushed by the hurricane. But f- through your lack of response, lack of adequate response, people who can't get their medication or can't get their dialysis or, dialysis or whatever other consequences. There were waters by the caseload sitting on a airplane runway that just were became undrinkable while these people were drinking out of creeks uh unsafe water you can't tell me that there it's not worthwhile to figure out if the response was adequate which by all accounts it was not many of us were alarmed with the ill-timed announcement it was ill-timed because it was concurrent with reports of then upcoming hurricane florence that $10 million of FEMA's operating budget had been reapportioned to fund immigration detentions and deportations. The announcement now was followed by assurances that the redirection would not impact FEMA's ability to respond to Florence and North Carolina, but whatever. It turns out that $10 million is actually a drop in the bucket, as CNN reports that over the summer, the Trump administration, quote, quietly redirected $200 million from all over the Department of Homeland Security to ICE, despite repeated congressional warnings of ICE's, quote, lack of physical discipline and unsustainable spending, end quote. Oh, my God. The $200 million came not only from the FEMA budget, but also from Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction Office. (laughs) The Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers. The Coast Guard. You know, they ensure safe and lawful commerce on the seas and perform rescue missions, bus drug smuggling, and other rather important feats. Uh, The Transportation Security Administration, the TSA. The Cybersecurity Office. Well, who needs cybersecurity in today's world? Oh, my God. As well as... Customs and border protection. You know, the ones who prevent bad guys from entering the U.S. So by all means, let's strip them of their budget so we can let the bad guys in and then house them indefinitely. I just want to scream and say, this is not where I want my tax dollars going. Exactly. And it leads right into your next story of what we're spending this money on. And now. Trump troubles around the globe. All right. The New York Times reports that the detention of migrant children has skyrocketed to the highest levels ever. Even though hundreds of children separated from their families after crossing the border have been released under court order, the overall number of detained migrant children has exploded to the highest ever recorded. 
This month, the number is 12,800. There were 2,400 such children in May of 17. Now, these are children who have crossed without an adult. Mm -hmm. Okay. The huge increases are not due to an influx of children entering the country, but a reduction in the number being released to live with families and other sponsors. The big difference, said those familiar with the system, is that red tape and fear brought on by stricter immigration enforcement have discouraged relatives and family friends from coming forward to sponsor children. Shelter capacities have hovered close to 90% compared to 30% a year ago. The administration's answer is to triple the size of temporary tent cities immigrant advocate, and, and so immigrant advocates and members of Congress have reacted to this news with distress because conditions are comparatively harsh in such large overflow facilities compared with traditional shelters. They are also more expensive to operate. Mm. These tent facilities cost about $750 per child per day, or three times the amount of a typical shelter. Representative Rosa DeLora of Connecticut said, quote, you are flying in the face of child welfare and we're doing it by design. You can drive up the cost and the trauma of these children. You are prolonging the trauma of these, on these children, unquote. Mark Greenberg, who oversaw the care of migrant children for health and human services under Obama, said, the longer these children are detained, the more anxious and depressed they are likely to become, and children may try to harm themselves or escape or can become violent with the staff and one another. So once again, uh, and, and I think we were talking about this, and it's such an interesting point. For all the people who are so worried about the money that we're spending oh, yeah. on these immigrants, right. uh, the money that these illegals yeah. are costing us, I'd like to know how they feel about these figures. Right. So it, they're not taking your jobs, but they're sure taking your tax dollars. Yeah. I want to know why does it cost more to house these children in cities? Then it would, then it would to house them in in the regular in the, in the nicest New York City apartment uh, uh, hotel room with room service. I don't I don't understand it either, but it's a it it just seems to me that this is a colossal waste of money to say nothing of the human uh, misery we are inflicting upon these children. It is uh, an incredible stain, and also, I, and that is the worst of it. But I also want to know. Who's this money going to? Well, Who's profiting off of this? Because you know somebody is. Yeah, somebody is. And meanwhile, all these Trump supporters who scream about, uh, you know, the money that's being spent, how do they feel about we've gone from 2400 to 12800 It's like a five-time five increase. Right. And, and that these people are, it's costing three times as much. I, is, this is just a, a sham. The whole thing. 
Are we surprised? It's just like every business that Donald Trump ever ran. I know. I I just think that I I think Democrats need to get this uh, word out that this is what's happening. Well, we're doing our best to get it out. Spread it around. We sure are. Last week, the Irish Independent announced the cancellation of a planned trip by our snowflake in chief Donald Trump to Ireland after he visits France to commemorate Armistice Day on the upcoming November 11th. You see, he was going to swing by the Irish capital before heading to his golf course in County Clare. This article was beautifully titled, White House is all over the place as Trump's visit to Ireland descends into chaos. (laughs) It goes on to say the cancellation comes as a massive relief to the Irish government, not devastation as I suggested in the quiz. The cancellation of the visit caught the government as unaware as its announcement did earlier this year. Back then, uh, soon after it was announced, organization of protests by both of the major parties began, um, including by the uh, Irish Labour Party, whose president, uh, Brendan Howland, described Trump as being, quote, no friend of democracy and human rights, end Uh quote. So this is just another example of how our ignorant president does not give respect to the massive logistic and security undertaking it is for a country to host a world leader. And then he adds insult to injury by just abruptly calling it off for quote-unquote scheduling reasons. When the truth is, he didn't dare show his face because there were going to be right. protests all over the country. Right. And he's too much of a snowflake to, to show up for that. I hope you're not name-calling. Oh, I'm sorry. And now for your Tweet of the Week. This week's Tweet of the Week comes courtesy of Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe, who tweets, At POTUS, Trump is said to be annoyed that his nominee is being, quote, dragged through the mud, end quote. Anyone surprised he's unbothered that the nominee may have dragged a 15-year-old girl onto a bed, mounted her, covered her mouth to stifle her screams, then lied about it to the Senate? Thank you, Mr. Tribe. And now, what the hell is happening in the Russia investigation anyway? Last Friday, Paul Manafort decided that cooperating with the Mueller investigation was a better bet for his personal prospects than counting on a pardon from Donald Trump. In addition to pleading guilty to charges of conspiring to defraud the United States and conspiring to obstruct justice, Manafort has agreed to tell the government all about his participation in those activities. Such activities could include events that transpired while he was chairman of Donald Trump's election campaign, including the infamous Trump Tower meeting and the Republican National Convention. The benefits to Mueller's investigation ranged from potential evidence to new leads. Having admitted to defrauding the the IRS to the tune of $15 million, Manafort, as part of the play deal, is forfeiting several properties to the government, including his own Trump Tower apartment. Ha! The U.S. (laughs) government is in Trump's house! The forfeiture also means that the Mueller investigation has not only racked up numerous convictions, but has effectively paid for itself. Can't say that for the Benghazi hearings. Now, we haven't yet seen a tweet from Trump reversing his praise for Manafort after being sentenced in Virginia on eight counts of tax and bank fraud. At that time, Manafort did not strike a deal and earned the president's uh, praise calling him a, quote, brave man. (laughs) 
He has, however, given indication to Manafort that if he, quote, tells the truth, which is code for doesn't mention Trump's name to Mueller, <laughs> a pardon might not be off the table. Uh, now, but now Manafort joins Rick Gates, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, and Michael Cohen as former Trump officials who've either pled guilty and or cooperated in connection with the special counsel's probe. While Manafort won't be sentenced until Mueller has gotten from him what he wants, there's no telling how long that'll take, and Manafort will be detained throughout that phase. <laughs> Delicious. And now for your action of the week. Okay, folks, this week's action of the week is hopefully last week you signed up for your local Indivisible. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because there was a great activity this past week, and it was the Apartment Blitz. Now, it may still be going on, but this is an easy, easy activity. You signed up, you picked up postcards, and you just go shove them into doors at apartment buildings. Easy. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. You just drop it in and you're on your way. Um, but a really important thing because they're trying to make sure that people know about getting registered to vote and they're trying to target folks who maybe are not going to the DMV or uh, are not doing the traditional ways of registering. So look into that. And if you can do any apartment uh, drop-offs, it would be a great activity and would be doing a lot of good. Thanks. And now for your inspirational quote of the week. The first quote of the week is from Michelle Obama, who said, One of the lessons that I grew up with was to always stay true to yourself and never let what someone else says distract you from your goals. And so when I hear about negative and false attacks, I really don't invest any energy in them because I know who I am. Yes, you do, Michelle Obama. Our second quote of the week comes from Anita Hill, who is now a professor at Brandeis, who also had accused uh, Judge Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment. And she says, Women who accuse men, particularly powerful men, of harassment are often confronted with the reality of the men's sense that they are more important than women as a group. Well, Anita, let's hope that the country has learned something since you're terrible dealing with the Senate. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.